good source is Scott Running wanted you to know that if you purchased any pair of Kinabalu 2 from scottrunning.nz until the end of March, they'll donate $50 towards East Coast Flood Relief. The Kinabalu 2 is ideal for groomed trail and it's a great door-to-trail shoe that you run from home in it. Um, and it's got a super sick colorway. But more importantly, like we said, any purchase of this shoe, Kinabalu 2, and $50 will be donated towards East Coast Flood Relief until the end of March. Scottrunning.nz well, thanks. The Aotearoa Trail Running Institution, you know the deal, Trail Directory, VIP Lounge, huge discounts in the store. We love them. We think you should too. Well, they probably already do, but if you don't, head along to wildthings.club, check them out. Sisters in Women's Trail Run Evenings are back at Further Faster every second Tuesday from multiple locations in Christchurch. No one's left behind. Goes faster as cruisy as you like in a supportive and encouraging space. Headlamps are a must. Sign up at www.furtherfaster.co.nz or pop in and visit them at 57 Sydenham Street, Otu Tahi, best independently owned outdoor store in the known universe. Yeah. And it goes something like further, faster, there in Christchurch. Rocky is hairy and so is Badger. Jules is nice and Jack is delicious. Go further, faster now. Go further, faster, there in Christchurch. Rocky is hairy and so is Badger. Jules is nice and Jack is delicious. Go further, faster now. Dirt Church Radio. Episode 233 of Dirt Church Radio. I'm Matt Raymond. And I'm Eugene Bingham. Tēnā koutou katoa. We made it. We certainly did make it. Yeah. Um, However, goodness me. Yeah. We're sort of starting on a bit of a somber note, aren't we? Because, um, look, you know, Aotearoa has had a bit of a run of it lately, hasn't it? Mm. With the floods in Auckland over anniversary weekend, which caused a lot of destruction, and then this cyclone, Gabrielle. Holy moly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, we lost a volunteer firefighter. David, um, he was a local vet and an ultramarathon runner. So, you know, I was talking to someone today from outside of Aotearoa and just saying how small this place is and how small the community within Aotearoa is. So chances are that some of you will know him or have run with him. And, you know, we can't even believe, we can't even begin to um, imagine what his family and his friends are going through and just, you know, the the sacrifice he made in the service of others. That's right. And the same goes for the other volunteer firefighter who was killed, Craig. Um, So to his family, his friends, and all of family and friends of those who died and those who've lost homes and livelihoods, um, we can't even begin to imagine what you're going through. And our hearts are with you. And I guess we, you know, we're still reflecting on Tarawera and, you know, as as, as tragic as that and as, as, as wrenching as that start was, we need to think about the fact that a whole group of people came together mm. and, and gosh, that could have been a lot worse weather-wise. You know, it seemed yeah. like it actually, we've been there in, in drought, we've been there in flood, we've been there in cyclone. But mm. I think this would have been a, a, you know, I just think if this had been 24 hours earlier, there would yeah. have been yeah absolute carnage. Did um, you see, because um, oh, at the briefing, um, 
they were talking about the wind levels that they have to cut the race off. You know, they'd pull people from the course if the wind got to certain levels. And they were monitoring those. And of course, they get specific Met Service forecasts for the race course itself. Uh, and then on the Monday afterwards, people were sending in photographs of the the tree fall on the trails, um, even on Tenai Road and stuff. Yeah. Uh, you know, which, as as you say, you know, a day or two earlier, wow, it wouldn't have been fun. And you can see why they have those limits in place and how, you know, it's it's dangerous. It's, uh, mm. you know, it was a cyclone. It was a terrible, terrible storm. Um, but, yeah, yeah. Tarawera, it's... It was, you know, glad we got it in. Yeah, glad we got it in. And it was amazing. Yeah, it was amazing. It was amazing to be part of it, and it was amazing to see so many of you across the finish line. I I walked into a running store today, and and someone said, you know, you uh, called me across at 2 in the morning. (laughs) I said, I'm sorry, I don't remember you. (laughs) It was dark. Uh, But, you know. It was dark. um, We were smiling. You were smiling. That's good. Yeah, everyone was happy, but but it was – I mean, you know, we've been involved in this race for a long time, both as participants and mm. and in various guises. Ten years, years for me, and almost that for you as well, wasn't it? Nine for me, yeah. yeah. And um, you know, gosh, it, it was amazing to be a part of, and it was amazing to see so many people and and receive so much aroha from the, the trail running community mm. as well. That was that mm. was really special. But Definitely. you know, hey, I, Marco, I'm glad I've had sorry. the week off work. I'll say that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I. Sleep deprivation is real. Um, I just want to share, Marco Sullivan pulled together some stats for, because it's five years now of the 100-mile race. And um, so first year there were 79 finishes uh, with a DNF rate of 35%. That was the year that the rain smacked the course, didn't it? Uh, this year, um, sorry, 353 finishes and a DNF rate of 19%. Wow. So, yeah, pretty pretty good. I mean, there was that course change, and people have wondered, you know, was it faster, was it slower? Um, well, Mark did some stats and found that the average time was three hours 27 quicker than the prior year, so 2021, and the median time was four, four hours five minutes quicker than the prior year. Wow. Um, which, by the way, the average finish time this year was 26 Point four five hours. So that's what's that? Oh no, sorry, it must be twenty six hours and forty five minutes, and the median was twenty seven hours and thirty one minutes. So those are pretty spicy times. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, huge field, huge, huge field, and like a relatively low DNF rate, nineteen percent. Yep. So and and yeah. you know. The, we had to bounce early because of the cyclone and getting home, mm. you know, to our whanau or with our whanau and, um, you know, catching up with the team, the the MC team, about, you know, that golden hour and, and no one got timed out. Yeah. Everyone who finished or everyone who didn't DNF on the course made it home. So what a fantastic, yeah. what a fantastic time. Yeah, absolutely. Talking about fantastic times, old coast to coast. Yeah, the flying, I mean, you know, Hayden Hawks talked about he wanted to be all business and Sam Manson, I mean, he's, he's, he's rocked the mullet since the jump, really. Um, yeah. I think the day he left the Air Force, he started growing it out, but, uh, what a win. Mm. What a win. You know, somebody, I thought I was talking to Grant seven minutes over Ryan Kiznowski at the wow. end. If you consider that it's 200 and, 
40 odd kilometers across, mm. you know, multiple disciplines. But did you see that last transition from the kayak? No. Oh my goodness. It was like, an, talk about F on pit stop. Like yeah. Ryan actually beached first. Yeah. And as he was being sort of hauled out of the canoe, in comes Sammy and straight out and up and gone. Like it was wow. just, you know, did he, did he use the mullet to try and like, had he come up with some technique of using that to like propel himself? Maybe he did. From the kayak. Maybe, maybe he did. But, you know, yeah. you talked about him one of the years that you, you ran Kepler and, and you ran the, the grunt and yeah. you talked about how he looked like a hunting dog or an Alsatian. He came past with sort of, he was frothing at the mouth, his tongue was hanging out and, and he, yeah. he had that same intensity through the, uh, through the, through the transition. So what a fantastic achievement, you know, and, and, and he's been working towards that for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. Congrats. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Hey, another person who's, sorry, look at my segues today. Another person who's been um, working towards something for a long time, Brooke Van Renan. He started out uh, to four years ago to have a crack at the Te Trail. Um, for various reasons, he, um, didn't quite complete it, but he's gone back. Hats off. So he's got around 250 kilometers left from Arthur's Pass to Tikapur. Um, he, he will have started by the time this podcast comes out. Um, he got caught out in weather the first time, so he had to skip it uh, four years ago. He went back in 2021, lasted seven days before getting shin splints and had to stop. And now he's going back for hopefully third time lucky. He'll be posting updates when possible on his Instagram. And if you want to put, you know, um, some support his way, he would love that. He's raising money for mental health. So go for it, Mental Health Foundation of New Zealand. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You can, yeah. This this is your time, bro. Get it done. Absolutely. Speaking of someone whose time it was, this week we have uh, a fantastic conversation with Ryan Montgomery. And, And Ryan's someone who's in the same sort of space as someone like, Lucy Bartholomew or Dylan Bowman, he, he entered the scene at a young age. Um, you know, he talks about running his first marathon at 15 years old. I think he did his first ultra when he was in his very early 20s, 22, 23. And at 29 years old, he, he could be considered a veteran of the sport. Yeah. And he's just going from strength to strength. Ryan was at Tarawiru with the express goal of racing for a golden ticket entry to Western States, which he'd qualified for with a second place at the Havelina 100. Um, and he'd been unable to attend the Western States because he'd been knocked off his bike by a car while he was out cycling. Um, and, you know, Ryan came here to throw down in a very competitive field and throw down he did. He came in third place behind uh, Dan Jones and Hayden Hawks, and he punched that golden ticket because, of course, Hayden Hawks, we all know, had a golden ticket or he had an automatic entry because he was second place in the race. So, um, you know, we saw, we saw, as we said, we saw Ryan at the top of Tokorangi Power and he was just so strong and composed, you know, in addition to and, and, and intertwined with being, you know, an elite athlete of the highest order, Ryan's also a passionate advocate for the LGBTQIA plus community and a champion for inclusivity and promotion of the outdoors as a safe and welcoming space for everyone, regardless of sexuality or gender. And yeah, we spoke to him in a very flash, flash sort of corporate boardroom and hotel, which is, you know, far removed from our usual <laughs> podcast space. Step up from DCR Towers. <laughs> it certainly was a step up from DCR Towers, but yeah, it's stoked to bring you this conversation. And um, yeah, fantastic. Yeah. First up, let's do this. 
greatest run ever. Greatest run ever, which is the part of the show where we ask you to write in to us and tell us your greatest run ever. It doesn't have to be a race or a mountain summit. It might just be a run around the block. Something that's sung to you for some reason, send them in to us at dirtchurchradio at gmail.com. And this is from Beth. And, and whilst this doesn't deal with a topic like suicide or anything like this, this is quite heavy. So just be warned. And it's epic as well. She starts off, I'm from across the ditch on the central coast of New South Wales and put some princes, don't hold that against me. I love your show and the amazing stories you and your guests tell. They really inspire me on more than just a fitness level. I've been wanting to write about my run for a long time now, but I didn't think my story is anywhere near as epic as the others I have heard, but it's my story and it's important to me. It was the year 2020 which for so many people was a year of disruption and change. For me, it was also the year that my life fell apart. My husband at 10 years told me he was having an affair right before we went into lockdown. We're in the same house trying to figure out what our future held for our family while not being able to see or hug others around us. I kept so much to myself in those first few months, knowing that it would hurt my family and friends so much to hear how much I was hurting, but they could do nothing about it, not even visit me and definitely not hug me. So I ran. I already had a love for running, but it became my true therapy, my physical and emotional outlet when I when there were so few other options. I was really fit, the fittest I'd ever been. Eventually, I moved out to my own little place right near the lake. It was my little sanctuary for myself and my two young boys. It was a chance for us both to have some space and decide where to from here. A week after I moved out, it was Mother's Day. My ex offered to have me over for dinner after my shift at work so the boys could see me. When I got there, I was greeted by two gorgeous boys that told me all about their day and how they'd been there with their dad and the lady he had had an affair with. My heart was shattered all over again, and I knew that it was definitely the end of my marriage. I couldn't sleep. I couldn't eat. I wanted to feel something else. I needed for my heart and my body to match. I remembered a quote. If you want to run, run a mile. If you want to change your life, run a marathon. I wanted to change my life so badly. So on no sleep, no food, with no planning, I decided to run around the lake. In my many hours of not sleeping, I calculated it was 45 kilometers by road around the lake. I called in sick to work, strapped on my shoes, and grabbed whatever hydrational food I could find. I took off. I was flying, the fastest kilometers I'd ever done. I'd remind myself to slow down, but legs just couldn't. My heart pushed my body further and faster. The kilometers just kept disappearing. I was flying. I didn't need to stop. I wanted to keep going. At 30 kilometers, I started to break. I was tired and emotional. I had nothing left. I'd never run that far before, but I had to get home. I thought of calling someone for help, but I knew I'd regret it later. So on I went. At 38 kilometers, I ran out of food and hydration. I still had seven kilometers to go. So I shuffled. And I shuffled. Eventually, my house was in view. I looked at my watch and realized that if I dug deep, I might actually make the 45 kilometers in under five hours. So with cramping calves, I attempted to sprint. Oh man, I wish there was a video of that. I would have looked a lot like a baby giraffe trying to run moments after after being born. But I did it. 45 kilometers in five hours with four seconds to spare. Finally, my body was as broken as my heart. There's much satisfaction and healing in that pain. It was the equilibrium I'd needed for months and showed me that I can survive and I can dig deep, even when I have nothing left to give, physically or emotionally. I've never needed to run that way again. My healing has been such a hard but rewarding journey, but that run was the start of my healing. Strange how sometimes we need to be completely broken to rebuild. Beth. Beth, wow. 
we've had some pretty raw greatest ones ever shared with us and we're really privileged to hear them but I don't know that was pretty damn raw wasn't it thank you Ed. Yeah. it seems yeah it's funny isn't it this has been such a coming off last week which was like yeah 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 you know here we are and then this you know this week we've had yeah. cyclone loss yeah continued struggle challenge um you know a major theme of the conversation <laughs> with mm. ryan is that challenge and yeah. that um but my my god what a what a great space to hold so thank you beth and yeah you know keep amazing sending run. them in amazing run yeah keep sending them in um, dirtchurchradio at gmail.com okay moving on to our chat with ryan montgomery and and i'm going to read you you know his bio so you can soak in <laughs> what he's yeah. achieved born and raised in the misty pacific northwest Ryan is a lover of outdoor spaces. Ryan ran his first marathon at 15 and was immediately inspired by long distance running. Since his debut ultra marathon in 2016, he's run races such as the Wasatch Front 100, Badwater 135, and Tahoe 200. He placed second at the 100 mile USATF National Championships in 2019, qualified for the 24 hour Team USA in 2020, and received a golden ticket for Western States at the Haviland 100 in 2021. As a queer gay runner, Ryan is passionate about creating communities for LGBTQ plus athletes out in the trails. For this reason, he's also founded Out Trails, which is a a community or a, a movement, uh, which is an opportunity to bring queer people together in outdoor spaces. Ryan currently lives in the Park City, Utah area, um, often under you know massive amounts of snow. Uh, and yeah, he came down to Tarawera to throw down and get a golden ticket, and he did that. And this is a wonderful conversation with a wonderful human being. Dirt Radio. Ryan Montgomery, welcome to Dirt Church Radio. And Altiro, how are you doing? Thank you. Thanks for having me. I, I flew all the way from Utah, United States, just to talk to you. So, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm excited to be here. Oh, I, I hope you're going to do other things whilst you're <laughs> Yeah, whilst you're there, here. there might be like 103 kilometers that I'm about to run tomorrow. So I think that's on the agenda. How, you had quite a trip getting here. I mean, your plane got turned around? Yeah, so um, last week on Friday, I was supposed to leave Los Angeles for Sydney, and someone had a heart attack on my plane, which is terrible, right? I've never experienced a medical emergency on the plane, but after an hour from LAX, they turned around, and then there wasn't enough staff, and so they canceled it until the next day, so, but we got here. I, yeah, I, have you ever been on a plane with a medical emergency? Yeah, a guy had a seizure right next to us. On oh, a flight really? once, um, but it was yeah, and it's it's a dramatic thing, isn't it? Because you're mid air and yeah. no one knows what's happening, and yeah, it's a but to get turned around and were they okay? Um, I I don't know, but so please, if you're listening, hope you're okay. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck coming back to Altidore. <laughs> exactly, um, but yeah, I mean, it was just like an hour after flight, and then oh. came back. But imagine like being over the ocean and having something happen like that's really scary and you don't think about it until it happens i guess i had a woman in the seat in front of me flying back from wellington i uh, have a what could be classed as a mental health emergency uh-huh. over a city called new plymouth and she was like stood up she's like i'm getting out and i was like oh dear god you know <laughs> like and and it is it's kind of you think about in the moment like 
it was contained very quickly and very civilly and very, you know, but you think, my goodness, if something happens, it sort of it does highlight your kind of fragility, right? Yeah, like, <laughs> I know. It's never a good sign when you're, like, listening to a movie and then over the intercom they say, is there a doctor on board? And you're like, oh, no, what is happening? I just hope it's not the pilot, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, let's hope that that's the most dramatic yeah, that's thing the, that's happened during your yes. travels here. Mm-hmm. Well, now that we've got you here and, you know, you've got this other small matter of uh, Tarawera Ultramarathon tomorrow, it's great to have you on Dirt Church Radio. We've been keen to get you on, been teeing it up for a while. Um, I mean, for those who don't know you, I know you're very well established in the North American scene. You know, you've been slaying for years and years. It'd be great to just find out a little bit about your backstory, if that's okay, and sort of you know, start with your background in sport and, and, and running. Yeah, absolutely. So I feel like I've always identified as a runner. When I was a kid, I lived in Alaska, of all places, for a few years. And that's where I was introduced to running. So I ran the 3K in middle school. <laughs> and that's where I learned how to run. And I fell in love with it. I would run on trails just outside of my house along the ocean, on the coast in Alaska. And that's really where I developed a love for like nature and being like out there all by myself. And I think also during those times when I was a kid, that's where I learned that being in in an outdoor environment by myself on trails allowed me to explore like new corners of my brain and like new corners of my personality and like new corners of like just who I am as an individual and like allow myself to like open up that bucket just a little bit. Mm. Um, so I think that's where like my running journey started. And then in high school, I got introduced to long distance running. I ran a marathon when I was 16. Um, Everyone told me not to do it and I decided to do it anyway. And it was just a big learning experience. And then the year after that, I met a bunch of ultra runners and they told me all these stories of the Badwater 135 and running across the Sahara Desert and like all these FKTs. And my mind just like blew up about like, what is this? Like the body can do something like this. Um, that is insane. And so I think, you know, even at the age of 16, I committed to wanting to do ultra marathons. Right. And so fast forward to today and now I do it. So what was the terrible advice that you received when you were 15? <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember any specific advice, just that they, I remember them telling me that it's a slippery slope and that it's really easy to get hooked into it. Right. And little behold, they were right. Like it's a bad thing. Yeah, yeah, like it's a bad thing, right? And I understand... But also true. (laughs) It is true, yeah. Acknowledge (laughs) that it is true. So I have a 15-year-old who did their first marathon last year, and and, and what we're trying to do is sort of... We're wildly supportive, but also, like, trying to temper that as well. Do you know Mm. what I mean? Like, it's it's that... Like, it's there, but, like, you know... It's a fine balance, right? Yeah, yeah. You need... I mean, as a early athlete, you have to learn oftentimes through trial and error. I know that was my case in my first hundred mile race. Like I had no idea what I was doing. And unfortunately that was like my, my, uh, first and only DNF in a hundred mile race was, um, that first hundred, but I had to have those experiences to like learn how to find that balance in racing. Right. And just how to problem solve too. Like there's so much that happens to your body. Oh. 
in an ultra and you just have to have experience in order to like know how to handle those situations right yeah yeah i mean i i think about it as a young person but i'm you know doing that as an adult and you're the same you're thinking the first time something really and not even in the boundaries of on the bell curve of bad things metabolically or when mm. you know that discomfort i've never felt that pain there before i've never felt or my my insides have never done that before or whatever it is yeah. and it's working out how to push through that i mean what a thing to what a thing to sort of click into as a young person yeah and, and that's why um i mean you can consider me to be like a, a younger ultra marathon i started ultras mm, really young you at the age of i think my first one was 23 23 24 I think 23 years old was my first ultra and I'm grateful for the years of experience I've had in my mid-20s to prepare me for now at the age of 28 where I'm running um, at an elite level because I have so much context now and I've been through it all like I've been through like these crazy races and really hard situations and I feel like I'm better prepared to problem solve when you know things go south mm-hmm. so it's, I, I mean people like dylan bowman you're in good yeah, company lucy yeah, bartholomew yep. again you know people who are you know i think dylan's a little bit older than you right but yeah definitely you know veterans of the scene yeah and dylan has a very similar um story to mine like he started running at a very young age and has had a very long career um so yeah, I think I like aspire and like look at Dylan Bowman as an example of like someone who I aspire to to follow in terms of like an athletic career. Mm-hmm. I'm intrigued by Alaska. <laughs> is, it, is it? Are you just intrigued because you live here? In, maybe, <laughs> so maybe. It's it's so foreign. It just every time like if you say Alaska, word association is snow capped. Yeah. You know, just everywhere snow. How could you possibly run there? Can you describe a little bit more about that? And 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 again, you know, that environment that allowed you to open up your mind and explore yourself in that way. What was it about the environment that helped you do that? So yes, Alaska is like very snowy in certain parts, but where I lived is <coughs> more like s- Canada, I would say. Mm-hmm. Like if you can imagine what British Columbia looks like, that's where kind of I lived. Right. It was like a very cold rainforest, essentially. So we did get snow, but actually where I live now in Park City, Utah, I get way more snow. I've right. seen you and Instagram. it's way colder, yeah. <laughs> Alaska. Uh, yeah, yeah, Alaska, no, no biggie. But it's just very dark there. It's like very hard in wintertime. But um, yeah, to answer your question about like my relationship to the outdoors living in Alaska, I felt like Alaska is best known for its wild like outdoors, essentially. It feels like you're the only one there and Mm -hmm. it feels like you are just plopped into the middle of a forest and it feels like no one has ever been there before. And so I feel like when I was in Alaska, I felt this connectivity to the surroundings around me. I felt like connected to the trees. Like this is where I fell in love with trees. And I actually have a tattoo of um, some pine trees on my leg because I just love trees a lot. And I think feeling connected to the trees, feeling connected to the deer and the animals around me, like feeling connected to my breath as I like run through this tight little trail through the forest. So I think that developed when I was like really, really young, like that connection to nature and how much I felt like nature was didn't have any biases almost. Mm. 
like nature didn't care who I was. It's almost like, just come how you are. Like you are meant to be here. And I always felt like safe in that environment because, you know, going to school, like there were bullies or, you know, being here, there's like, you know, you look at news and all this terrible stuff is happening. But when I felt like being on a trail, like no one cared. Nature didn't care who I was. Like nature was welcoming to me. And so I felt like that safety almost. Um, And maybe that's why I like feel really safe on trails a lot, you know? Mm. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's, I mean, it's true, isn't it? It's just the, the weather doesn't care. The bears don't care. <laughs> oh, Speaking of bears, yeah. <laughs> that's a slippy chair. Um, yeah, it's 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 a welcoming space for everyone. Yeah. It's a it's a place for everyone, as it should be. And that's the thing is that nature is welcoming, but what doesn't make it welcoming are the people sometimes that have biases or people that have perhaps a vendetta against a certain population that make nature. Mm you know, unsafe or unwelcoming. And so, um, yeah. And, and that's why I like, for me, it's just, I, I want to tell that story of like how nature has provided that space for me and what I've learned through nature and that mm. people like me who identify as queer, um, it is a place for you and we want to make it more accessible because everything that I've learned through my experience in nature, if like, if some queer child, you know, in, the boondocks of some random town can find like that welcoming space, like in their local trails. And that's huge, you know, and because I felt that, and I feel like that, that environment is what has gotten me through some like really tough Mm. times where I feel like I've been alone, you know? And, and so I feel like you can find a lot of company, you know, even by yourself on a trail. So it's, it's one of those myths, isn't it? That, I mean, Yes, absolutely. There's 5,000 people tomorrow and we're all going to run, or you guys are going to run <laughs> into the trails. We're not. Uh, but, you know, the, the cisgender community, the, the, the straight community, we do repeatedly kind of fail, I think, the queer community in that space. Because you're right, it's not a safe space overall. You know, and there are lots of things around the culture that are less welcoming. So you've got that individual freedom. But the systemic stuff... What's, in your opinion, what's on the line, you know, if we continue, what could we do to be authentic allies to the queer community in the outdoor space? Yeah, so I guess some background um, on me is I identify as like a gay, queer, um, non-binary runner. And I think as I've been on my journey as an individual and like finding my voice and finding like my who I am as a person, I've learned that as someone who doesn't identify as like, you know, the term male, which is a gender category, there's Mm. so much that I don't identify with that, that I don't want to be associated to that oftentimes. Um, Because I find myself celebrating and, and enjoying like the femininity of myself as well as the masculine side. And I love that fluidity that I can express. And so for someone like myself and this community of people who identifies queer, non-binary, trans, whatever, I feel like the world has built has been built upon like a binary structure where we like to put things, whether it's like 
the animal kingdom, we like to create categories and genuses and all these different, ca- we like to categorize things. Same thing with humans. We like to put you in like, are you male? Are you female? Are you, you know, tall? Are you short? We love to categorize. And when you don't feel like you're in this, in a, in a particular category, you feel alone. You feel like you don't fit in. You don't feel welcome. Um, and so when I think about our broader running community, we still see elements of this binary structure taking place. For example, Tarwara, I'm here running this race tomorrow. And at registration, I still had to pick male or female as like my gender category. Mm. And I remember emailing the organization and said like, hey, do you have a non-binary category? And they said, no, like we're in the process of like exploring like what this looks like. Of course, you know, Iron Man has non-binary categories. Unfortunately, Tarawera does not, and I hope that changes. But imagine, like, if you don't identify in those categories and you have to come to a race registration page, and then automatically you have to lie to yourself by saying, are you male or female? Mm. Like, you don't want to be in an environment that doesn't recognize who you are, right? And so I think that's, like, a, a barrier for people even before race day to even be in an environment where they have to opt in to be binary or not. Um, and I think, like, language is important, too. Um, I remember last November I ran a race in Texas, and it was a 50K, and it was an auto qualifier for the Leadville 100. And it was my first time racing in the non-binary category. And it was funny racing as a non-binary athlete for the first time and recognizing how language really influences me because on course I'm competing with the top male I'm competing for an overall win and everyone's saying like first male coming through but actually I'm not the first male I'm actually the first non-binary but you know visually I'm like Mm. look like the first male um, at birth, I was born as male, right? So it's just funny how like language also influences. So if you're assuming someone's gender or you're saying like you guys when actually maybe they're mm. a trans individual or someone non-binary, that could be off-putting too. Um, so like even like language has an impact and then just like assuming like people's uh, like presentation, um, I remember you you mentioned that you listened to one of my previous podcasts and I share the story of like painted nails. My nails are really ugly right now. They're all chipped. (laughs) I need to fix my nails before the race tomorrow. But um, I remember I was on a training camp and someone like uh, alluded to like uh, a guy with painted nails like passing me. Assuming that, like, because Sorry, I have painted nails, so my- <laughs> yeah, because I painted ma- nails, I'm more femme, which means yeah. that I'm like less of an athlete. Right. Like, that was the indication that I got from him. So, just like stuff like that, it, like, still exists a lot. Mm. It's interesting yeah. how that gets co-opted, isn't it? Like, there's so much, and I'll. This is sort of inherent. This is a. It seems to be like a oh, such a hot issue and people have this almost aberrant response to something which is incredibly reasonable which is you saying hey look i this is how i prefer to be to identify yeah. and it's not pie it's not like yeah <laughs> ryan takes this slice there's no more slice for matt oh, damn it you know therefore you're more than me it's interesting how like you you, you said the nails or you sit on dylan bowman's thing you wore a crop top at yeah. havelina there's so much of that that gets co-opted into like 
straight culture like yeah. if you think about i don't know like heavy metal or punk rock or people do, do you know what i mean it's interesting how some people decide that or who decides whether that person who identifies as male or that man wearing nail polish is okay mm. and that person wearing nail polish or that man wearing nail polish is not i don't understand who makes those rules you know why that's sort of lesser than do you know what i'm saying like yeah it's it's like a weird like human thing that happens i think we just like to be in like clean cut like everything has to be like very clean cut i feel like almost like you know for example like a great thing is like race too like um like your skin color whether you identify as like black brown white i remember um like because living in utah it's primarily like white caucasian like everyone is and i remember i used to live in san francisco and san francisco is very international very multiracial um i would say majority is probably less white and then but because i've been living in utah so much i've been so accustomed to like caucasian just around me all the time that when i went to california a couple weeks ago it's almost like took me off that i'm like oh there's like I remember there are like brown and black people around me all the time, you know, and it's, I think that type of when you, when we live in a homogenous environment too much, we almost forget that diversity is so important and we kind of get caught up in our own little small bubble that we forget how to be inclusive and we forget how to be welcoming of other, you know, walks of life. And I think that's probably what happens for people that, might not be used to someone with painted nails or someone who is more femme or mask or someone who is trans because it's it's the newness factor like it's it's something that's new it's something that you're not familiar with and so you might have like a defense mechanism against that perhaps Mm. and that's and that's just a um in, in running terms when you're confronted with discrimination or harassment or you know inappropriate language that's it's hurtful, yeah. and I imagine, um, you know, and it actually impacts as well on your performance. I imagine. I imagine yeah, it's definitely. if you're at a race where people are welcoming and it's inclusive and and um, you know, yeah, welcoming, then then you're going to perform better. It's going to be better for for you, better for everyone as well, isn't it? So it's actually it's a you know it's it matters. It does. That's and a terrible question. Sorry. No, no, it's a great question because. My network of the queer community in running has expanded tenfold even in this last year. And the stories I've heard for, of individuals explicitly not signing up for races mm. because yeah. they do not feel welcome. Like they don't see themselves in the registration page. They see themselves not in a safe environment, um, especially if it's in like a geography that might not be historically like welcoming to queer people like Mm. you as a race organizer need to be so explicit about how welcoming and inclusive you are otherwise you will never get that population to come to your race Mm. so it requires so much level of communication and pushing of that message of inclusivity um otherwise your race will never have that mm. population attend you, your mm. race. Mm, mm. I guess sort of what it's leading to too is, and I think of an example, um, a friend who attended a race who um, was not welcome. And mm. this is for other reasons, but but it was made very clear to her that she wasn't, you know, she was, wasn't very well made welcome at this race. The race organiser didn't make it very, very welcome. 
she was an elite runner. She took off. I'm not an elite runner. <laughs> At some point in the race, I came across her on the side of the road, and she was struggling. Mm. And I said, just, just run with me. Just run with me. And she just ended up breaking down, you know, crying uh, and not wanting to finish. And it was all because she was not well, she didn't feel welcome. Mm. And it was really confronting to see actually, you know, this is it, you're just that, that sense of not being welcome. You know, it's it's incredibly damaging and it's and it's impactful. Yeah, it's um, that's a really unfortunate story. I'm curious to know, like, what was it about that race yeah. that made her feel yeah. uncomfortable? But it's just funny because if you've never felt that in your lifetime, mm. it's really hard to contextualize. Mm. Like, imagine if you've ever, for like your listeners, if you've ever been in a place where you feel like you're the odd person out in terms of presentation, in terms of the color of your skin, in terms of um, maybe your intellect. Like, if you've ever been to a party and you feel like you're the, you know, least smart person there, like, it doesn't feel good. Mm. Like, everyone's operating at this level, perhaps. You know, I've been in this situation where I'm with, like, a ton of, uh, you know, MIT graduates, for example, <laughs> at this dinner. And I'm just like, wow, they're operating at, like, a, such a different level. And I just feel, like, insecure. Mm. Like, imagine that feeling everywhere you go. Like, that's what it feels like for, I know, for a lot of my queer friends and community, how they feel at races, in certain towns that they run, sometimes on trails. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's important to, like, contextualize what does that feel like for that person and how can I design an environment and space that mitigates that? Like, I think that's, like, the next level of, like, work like recognizing what that feels like and then how do I design a space that welcome that, that, that is more welcoming and it, I, I think it's a, a lot of different things as I mentioned before on top of like bathrooms like how do we create inclusive bathrooms and there's just so much there um, I think but the most important thing is like recognizing that it is actually an issue mm-hmm. and we shouldn't just like shove it under the rug which mm-hmm. I think a lot of people do mm-hmm. it seems like and I'm saying no means is altered or perfect at all, perhaps we're more polite with our <laughs> our bias, that in media and, and a lot of the media stuff that we rep from North America say, yeah, um, that this stuff's being amplified almost to a fever pitch at the moment. Mm. Like, you know, it was something about drag queens reading books. Was, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, and they, they, uh-huh. you're, you're grooming children to, to what? You know, you're reading a book about talking dinosaur that's at a birthday party eating birthday cake you know like how it 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 must be exhausting in some ways just constant like i don't have to explain a damn thing to anyone ever you know and that's and that's and i don't you know i'm not saying that i feel a sense of guilt for that because i am who i am and i was born who i was right but i kind of slide through through life even working in say a space of nursing which is 92 percent uh, woman, right? As yeah. as a young man, you know, going in at seventeen and then doing it for a long time. Even then, it's like with a small, very small, comparative, like a bias towards oh, that's a male nurse or whatever. I just go, well, hey, I am who I am. And people go, okay, cool. It, how do you stay? How do you stay grounded? And how do you kind of just keep your chin up? Because it, it it feels like it must feel just. Man, hard. Uh, 
<laughs> it does feel hard. And so I do a lot of work um, in terms of inclusion work uh, with a lot of my sponsors, as well as my community that I founded called OutTrails. And I remember the first time on social media where I wrote a blog or my sponsor posted that they supported my my LGBTQ running retreat on their social media. And then you go to the comment section <laughs> and everyone's like, woke brand, not going to buy your shoes again. Or wow, not buying Ultra again. Or wow, not buying that watch again. And I'm just like, are you kidding me? Like, do you realize that we are creating an affinity space that is providing this amazing experience for these people? And for some whatever, whatever reason, you're against that. Like you, you are against getting people in the outdoors where you have the privilege to run every day without mm. fear. So like you're telling me that you don't support that? Like at a fundamental basis, you don't like getting people in outdoor spaces. Sounds like a pretty fearful response though. We're yeah. talking about this in the car on the way over. Like just the... For people who and it often comes with this projection of strength or whatever. Yeah. It's a real fragile response. Oh, yeah. It's oh, a it's real total fragil- response. fragility. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's it's gatekeeping. It's people that are fragile, people that are uneducated on like what actually like this work is. I feel like LGBTQ has become a trigger for so many people mm-hmm. that like it means liberal, it means woke, it means progressiveness. But in reality, it's none of that. It's really just, you know, go back to my story of like little gay boy Ryan in Alaska, <laughs> um, you know, trying to find like community and purpose and belonging. And I found that, you know, on my local trails in Alaska, yeah. like that's that feeling, that experience is what we're trying to create. And like yeah. everybody wants that. Like you have that, Eugene, mm. right? Yeah. Like we want that for everyone. Mm. And I think the work that I'm doing, the stories I'm trying to tell, the community I'm building is trying to accomplish that. So I think for people that might have a hesitation or might be triggered by seeing the story of the drag queen or seeing the story of me, you know, creating an LGBTQ retreat and a sponsors, like think about what exactly it's doing Mm. and like really questioning, like fundamentally, do I actually support this type of work? agnostic to like what i think at the at, at the core we all believe that we all want the same thing yeah tell us about outtrails yeah um i think for years i've been wanting to create queer outdoor community um but the so i used to be a management consultant in the past and that always makes me like i'm a very strategic thinker and i like to have everything laid out and for years i've been very afraid to start it because I have to like get the funding and I have to have a strategy and a mission and a pitch deck and I have to have all these things. And then everyone just kept telling me like, Ryan, you just got to do it. And like, you're going to figure it out along the way. And so like a year and a half ago, I just decided that I'm going to create this. I'm going to start doing weekly or monthly runs. And then I'm going to do a running retreat every year and like get sponsorship money so that we can do scholarships. And I just like, you know, like hunker down and I like, sent out all these pitches and I asked all my sponsors for funding and we hosted our first running retreat last October in Washington state in the U S and we funded 20 scholarships for queer people and we're able to bring a large intersection of queer people such as 
BIPOC, people of color, trans community, trans masculine and feminine, like I would say 60% of the participants were non-binary, people all over the geography of North America came. And it was just such a beautiful space we created. We took over this whole building. We had 45 like queer runners there. And it was just this beautiful experience where people got to experience trail running oftentimes for the first time mm. and developed, you know, that love that I was, I'm alluding to back when I was in Alaska, they started to like have this feeling of, wow, this is for me. This is my community. This now I can actually push myself and do some of these farther distances that I otherwise would never do because now I have a community that supports me. Like that mm. was a story I heard all weekend long. So we're doing that again this year, and then we do monthly group runs in some cities. Um, Right now we're in Salt Lake, Seattle, and then we're expanding to other cities this year. So really the goal is to build a community through this community called OutTrails. And I'm just really excited to see like what impact it has on a lot of lives. It strikes me that you've you've facilitated this, and I, I think it's important for people to know as well as like you came out of a... You came out of a context, you know, when you run around in Alaska or you, yeah. you know, um, it's not like you came, and this is no disrespect, you were a Mormon. Yeah. Not necessarily known as a, a bastion of flexibility and or tolerance, right? Yeah. So you came out of a system and a structure, <laughs> which it's not like you were living in a yurt. Somewhere, you know, that kind of woke. You know, yeah, like, I mean, that's really yeah, grow up in an yeah, environment that was exactly. conducive for yeah. understanding. Yeah, yeah and, and now yeah. you're sort of you're facilitating that. It must be a, a that, that sort of facilitation of, of freedom and acceptance. It's, it must be really, it must be heartening. Yeah, I, uh, yeah, so I did grow up Mormon, and I have tons of Mormon friends. They're great, but... My auntie's Mormon. Okay, there yeah. you go. And the thing about, you know... Mormonism and queer people is that they're not conducive and and it's really unfortunate and I think it hurts a lot of people's lives mm. because they try to make both work and it doesn't work and I think for me as I've you know separated myself from that part of my life and now like objectively can like see the world more broadly it's really like opened up my eyes to new stories and I think that's some of the biggest takeaways I've learned as I've left the Mormon church is that you have like such a broader binoculars. Like I feel like growing up, I've always had these binoculars where I like see the world through the, this very specific lens. And now I have 10, 15, 20 lenses that I can see the world through new colors and new dimensions. And that's just allowed me to be more educated in people's stories, people's walks of life, and learn that like my walk of life is not unique at all. There's so many different walks of life that we need to learn from and understand. And yeah, I don't know where I was going with this, but no, essentially it's... that was kind of my, I guess my point is that having, hearing these new stories through books and podcasts has allowed me to kind of deconstruct my upbringing and reconstruct like who Ryan is in 2023, if that makes sense. It makes perfect sense. And I guess it's this thing, isn't it? To those who might be listening, you know, we're here to tell you because we've all had experience of this and and perhaps with, you know, Eugene in the telling, me in the health system and and you, this stuff has real world negative health effects Mm. for people. It drives people to insanity. It drives people to death. 
Totally. You know, oh, for sure. And it, it's so important. And the word, it's funny, isn't the word advocate? Is so, <laughs> advocate for this, advocate for that. It, it's so important that, you know, this message is out there, that this should be an, exclu- an inclusive space and, is, and that sort of notion of safety. <sighs> I know. I uh, Okay, this might be a little bit of a tangent, but when I was at university, I went to Brigham Young University, right. which is a Again, very a conservative bastion. school, <laughs> perfect example of this. So at BYU, you can be expelled for dating um, the same um, gender, and you can be expelled for doing ton, tons of things, coffee, alcohol, all of those things, mm. which I was doing all those things <laughs> <laughs> under the radar. Um but I remember I, for my thesis in my undergrad, I was in the honors program and the, you do a thesis as part of the honors program. And I studied how dogmatic cultures, how any dogmatic ideology affects your ability to be open-minded. And it was kind of like, no offense to the Mormon church, Mormon church, great, but it was also kind of like a middle finger to like my university uh, on my way out of graduation to like really showcase how like dogmatic ideologies really affect your ability to be inclusive as a fundamentally as a human and what i researched is that um if if you are part of a very dogmatic ideology that is anti x or z it is really hard for you to be open-minded towards that x and z and it's on both sides of the aisle i also researched people that were very dogmatic like atheists Mm. or agnostics they were also biased towards, they were like over biased towards like um, queer people in my research as opposed to the heterosexual counterparts. So it was really interesting to observe how like any dogmatic ideology made you lean or were biased in one way or the other. So it's, it's made me like very conscious about like, why do I have this opinion? Why do I think this way? Like really challenging everything that I was confronted. Like if you read a news article, like challenge yourself, like, did this give me a reaction? Did I feel good about this or did I feel bad about this? Why? And like ask that why question all the time. Mm-hmm. And I think it's allowed me to like unbundle like maybe some unconscious biases that I have or predispositions that I've had that were like not founded, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's allowed me to like open up those corners of my brain to really question myself. Mm. Yeah, that question of why is such an important one, isn't it? Yeah. It all just we were talking in the car on the way down about a situation and it's like, did anyone stop to think, why are we doing that? Oh, you know? yeah. Yes. <laughs> no, one, no one really like takes time to like ask why they do certain things. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And like, you know, why am I doing that? I don't know. Maybe it's just cause I grew up doing that. Mm. And like, maybe it merits a question of like, do you want to change that behavior? Yeah. <laughs> We've always done it this way. And this way kind of sucks, but we'll keep doing it this way. Like it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Any system. I think in healthcare, like we're faced with that constantly. Why are we doing this? Because yes, we always do. Because we have. But we get such terrible outcomes. I know. Isn't and this is, this is so such an important thing for if you're a race director or someone of influence in a running community that like if you've been doing something for a decade, like take an opportunity to poll your audience and community and ask and educate about like is this is this something that we want to shake up? Do we mm. want to shake it up, right? Or is this something that you've just been doing for 10 years and haven't really thought about changing policy? Um, it also merits the question, have we changed our leadership team in years? Mm. Maybe our leadership team isn't bringing the most up-to-date, diverse opinions to the table. 
and maybe we're in an echo chamber and maybe we need to bring more voices to, you know, allow that shakeup of newness. So some food for thought. <laughs> well, even, uh, and I guess this is the thing, isn't it? Some people get quite sort of spun up around that. Whoa, you know, and, and there's so much, hot, you know, we live in this world with soundbite, soundbite, soundbite. So you've just said diversity. <gasps> Yeah. How do you, you know, you're challenging. Think about it from a personal perspective. If you're running in a way that, say, I don't know, every time you take a step, your left calf gives you eight out of ten pain. Do you keep running that way? And every time you put on that shoe, it kind of hurts your foot. Do you keep? If you're running? stubborn, maybe. Yeah, yeah, if you're stubborn, but does it? Does, <laughs> quite, quite does a it, does it work? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> but does it? Does it lead to long-term positive outcomes? No, yeah. it doesn't. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. <laughs> mm. it Until it's a really bad problem, yeah. then, yeah. then you realize it, right? Yeah. 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 What are you most like tomorrow? What are you most looking forward to? I mean, you've had a hell of a year. You've had surgeries, plural. <laughs> you've had some setbacks and. You must be keen to get at it. Yeah, I'm just, I think for me personally, this race, I, from a year of injury and like getting hit by a car on my bike and like having to go through all that, I'm just like now getting back into racing again. And so my body has to like relearn how to go, go into that uncomfortable zone again. So I'm, I'm reacquainting myself to that type of racing. So, um, so for me, I want to do the best I can tomorrow, but also I need to like, remember that for me, why I got into running, it was just to like, feel connected to my body, feel connected to nature and like really celebrate health and like celebrate like who I am as a person. So like, that's my main goal tomorrow is like, I want to embody who I am, celebrate, and if I happen to podium tomorrow, that's going to be just, like, amazing cherry on top. So, yeah. Mm. You had surgery for plantar fasciitis. Is that right? Or on your plantar fascia? Yeah, not, not, so not like, not like yeah. surgery, surgery, but I got PRP injections into my planter. I don't know if people know what those are. No, can you tell us? It's a um, new type of procedure where they take your blood and they spin it in a centrifuge and they re-inject the plasma into damaged tissue. And the goal of it is like hyper-focused, um, high concentration platelets that are like healing agents, right? Into damaged tissue. So it works really well for like tendinopathy, torn ligaments. And for my, for my situation where I had plantar fasciitis chronically for over a year, the goal was to like hopefully eliminate that. So I did that on top of like a bunch of other things. So my planter's gone away for the most part. But was it the PRP? Was it shockwave? Was it massage? <laughs> was it rest? Was it because I didn't run for a while because I got hit by a car? Who knows? Oh. It could have been all of the above. Yeah. <laughs> the person who comes up with the pill that resolves plantar fasciitis yeah. is going to be a zillionaire because... <laughs> yeah, because everyone gets it. I feel like yeah. the, the more I've been open about my planter, everyone's like, oh, me too, me too. Yeah. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I've yeah. talked about having plantar fasciitis and so I get millions or not millions sorry I get lots of messages of people going what did you do and it's like what didn't I do the golf ball in the freezer the stretching the calf you know da 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 yeah, yeah, but, yeah. but the problem is that one day you'll just wake up and it'll be gone you don't know what it was that we're well, not gone but you know it's better and you don't know which of those protocols helped yeah I get a lot of messages on Instagram asking people about the same thing yes. about planter and like what what should I do? And do they recommend PRP? And to your point, like, I feel like it 
goes away as mysteriously as it yes. came. Yeah. And so I feel like it's like while you're doing those things yeah. to solve it, just know that with time, it's probably going to go yeah, away. Right. Yeah. yeah. Just like this curse that'll just hang around yeah, for a while yeah. and then it'll be okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which is not a good answer. No, it's not. <laughs> it's not the answer anyone wants. <laughs> I've been cursed with a lot of things. Uh, not plantar fasciitis yet, <laughs> oh, but I can't wait. Um, yeah, I'm so excited. Knock on wood, yeah. 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 I will. Tomorrow notwithstanding, Western States notwithstanding, because that's, you know, in, in, in the universe right now. Plans for 2023? Yeah. Um, you know, race tomorrow, goal to get a golden ticket for Western States. I've tried to be at the start line of Western States twice mm. now. And have pulled out twice for injury because I'm like a good athlete and I know that like, oh, if I ran Western States, it'd probably put me into a hole. So I'm going to be a good athlete and like not raise injured. So this is going to be my third time attempting to get to the start line. So that's the goal tomorrow. And then I'm running Leadville. I think I mentioned that earlier. Um, I got an auto qualifier to the Leadville 100 in Leadville, Colorado. So I'm doing that. I'll probably do one or two other races, and then I'm also going to do the Javelina 100, which is in Arizona. Yeah. It's also um, a, an Aravaipa running race, uh, golden ticket race for 2024. I also just really like that race because... It looks amazing. It's yeah. such a party in the <laughs> desert. It's very queer. It's very fun. And it's just like a big... Yeah. It's just like yeah. a big party in the desert. It's yeah. like definitely my vibe. So yeah. Jamil and Nick, they seem to put on some amazing races. Yeah. I like this. Yeah. It's it a special source. Yeah. Yeah. If anyone gets a chance to run Javelina, it's so fun. Just yeah. like, I mean, it is a loop course. It's not for everybody, but you make up for the loops with just like a party. So, You mentioned um, getting back into that race mindset and being able to push yourself, your brain into the hurt zone and being able to yeah. stay there and be able to live in that uncomfortable thing. I think that's something that lots of people struggle with yeah. as well how, how do you, how do you do that how do you make yourself go there what what are the things that you try and do in racing and in training to ensure that you can go there and be comfortable or as comfortable as you can be i think i benefit from a lot of racing experience um when i started ultra running i did all of the crazy races and i wasn't fast i did the Wasatch 100. I did a hundred mile race in Alaska in the winter time. I did bad water. I did all these crazy races and I wasn't fast, but having put myself in those situations, I've been in a lot of problem solving situations. I've learned how my body reacts to certain environments. I've learned, I've learned through those experiences how to trust my body. And I think that's one of the most important things as an ultra runner is you become so acquainted with your body, you just know how it's going to respond. And you know that in a race, when your legs are feel like bricks and you're tired, you have to trust your body that you will come out of that. Or you have to trust your body that, yes, this sucks right now, but it's sure going to be short-lived. And so, yeah, I mean one of the biggest advice I tell people is like, trust your body. Like, you know, it so well, like as a runner, we know our bodies really well, hopefully. And just like trust. And then also like, remember to like lean on like your friends and neighbors and races, like people at aid stations, God bless them. They are amazing. They're going to be there for you. 
express your needs um, and they're going to take care of you. So you're going to witness, you're going to experience tomorrow. You're going to experience the Tarawita aunties. Oh, the aunties. Yeah. Are they like the, the help, moms out on course? Health aunties. Oh, yeah. It's a different, this. it's a, it's not a mom. It's an auntie. It's and an you'll auntie. know the difference okay. when you see it. You, and, and Are the aunties just like, what do you need? Do you need a bandaid? Do you need a little? Yeah. No, no, no. They're like, what do you need? They're like, you need. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they come proactive. They, they, yeah. they know what you need <laughs> before you do. They, they, <laughs> they take one look and yeah. they're like, oh, yeah. honey, yeah. you yeah. need yeah. this. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. Like, Actually, I do. <laughs> so, yeah, I didn't think I did. But I do, and, and it is a wonderful, like, it'll be, it'll be interesting to catch up with you afterwards and, and get a reflection on the terms. I mean, I'm sure you're not going to be spending that much time in the A stations, but comparing it to a North American race, you know? Yeah. How, yeah, I, I love, okay, well, we need more aunties in America, I feel like. Because sometimes I've been at races and they're like, what do you want? And I'm like, I don't know what I want. <laughs> you tell me. My mouth is itchy. <laughs> yeah. you, should, you should just know this. Yeah. So, okay. Well, I'm excited to meet the aunties on course tomorrow. Yeah. This is a question from Lee. Uh, direct credit, credit to Lee. There's someone listening to this who was in perhaps the same situation as you were, I don't know, 10 years ago or is struggling with feeling that inclusion or feeling that best sense of themselves. Any, you know, as both a, a veteran athlete and a person who walks this walk and has, has, has lived that experience, any words of encouragement or one piece of advice that you could give? Not that it's that easy, but... Yeah, I can't promise it's going to be easy, but I can promise that you're not going to be alone in that journey. And I think that's something that has empowered me on my mission to be more vocal about issues or just about my own journey is that I feel like a lot of people like myself live in in locations where they feel like they're all alone. You know, I live in a very rural environment. I live on a mountain all by myself where there's like, you know, not a lot of people around me and it can feel very lonely. Like you're the only person like yourself, but no, there's tons of people just like you out there. And I think the world can feel a lot smaller through social media. And so I think find that community, whether it's in person or virtually, because people are there to be your cheerleader and to be that person that sees you for who you are. Um, You just need to find that community, whether it's through a virtual or in-person medium. But, you know, the stories and messages I get of people just like, thank you so much for what you're doing. Like, oftentimes I feel like I'm not doing anything other than just running a lot. Um, but I think just telling my story, it means a lot to people that might might not feel like there's another person like them out there. Mm-hmm. So um, I guess for Lee and other people like Lee and myself, um, if you feel inclined, share your story, be vocal about it, because you never know what impact that could have. And then stay connected. Like, I want a bunch of gay best friends all over the world. So <laughs> so reach out to me. I'll be your friend. <laughs> Ryan, look, we appreciate you coming on Dirt Church Radio. And we appreciate you taking the time. You know, it's the day before a race. Um, you've been so generous. And I know that we're going to catch up in a bit at the, at the elite Q&A. But wanted to ask you the same question we ask every person who comes on Dirt Church Radio. And Ryan Montgomery, what's been your greatest run ever? Greatest run ever. Does that mean any run, like or a greatest run ever? Doesn't have to be a race. Oh, or a mountain. Summer. My greatest run ever is. So I ran uh, 
I ran the unsupported FKT around Mount Rainier in Washington State in wow. 2020 during the pandemic. It's about 24,000 feet of climbing. I don't can't convert that to meters. I think that's probably... Seven, 8,000? Seven, yeah. 8,000 meters, um, about 93 miles. And it was one of the most joyous runs I've ever been on. I f- because I grew up in the Seattle, Washington area, Mount Rainier like hovers over the city in the distance. And I feel like I've always had this like connection to Mount Rainier and I've always like wanted to explore that area. And so being able to circumnavigate the whole volcano in a day um, was so special. And I, it was one of the few races where I just felt like I was in a flow state the whole day, like running through the night, running through the day, running up and down this mountain and then running at every running around that whole volcano. It was just so special and so beautiful. Um, I think that adventure will always have a special place in my heart. Wow. So, yeah, if you ever get the chance to run the Wonderland Trail in Washington State, do it. You will never regret it. Right. Add it to the bucket list. Add it, put it on the list. Yeah, we've, got, we've got a list. We've got a long yeah. list. Look, Ryan, thank you so much. Um, all the best for tomorrow. And it's been really, really lovely to meet you. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, Ryan. That's, you know, we talk about interesting conversations with interesting runners. Tick, tick. Mm. On that one. So like, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and thank you for being, you know, so willing to go there. And, mm. you know, it was a, a privilege to have that conversation, wasn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I can't wait to see what he's up to next and, and you know, yeah, well, how, how he goes against the States. So yeah, thanks again, Ryan. Amazing. And thank you all very much for tuning in. We're on social media at Dirt Church Radio. You can email us at dirtchurchradio at gmail.com. You can find us on all the podcast platforms, like and follow if you fancy, and you can download direct from the website, which is dirtchurchradio.com. Don't forget to write in with your greatest one ever. Um, you know, we love hearing from them. We get so much. We love hearing them, and we get so much feedback from people saying that they love hearing them as well. And they promise to send them in. We're watching. You can read them on the website and then send us your one, dirtchurchradio at gmail.com. Thanks to our sponsors, Scott Running, Further Faster, and CLE. Thank you to our Patreon patrons and Wild Things. And thank you, as always, to our editor, Kieran. Stay tuned for our show next week. We have another really great guest lined up. Hey, Kona. Thanks, Rippy.